0: need a high-end designer or a lot of money to get a luxe look. Be your own interior designer with big design, small budget. Here's your host, Betsy Helmuth. ho, ho. ho. Yes, I know. I know. Christmas is over. But it's not yet the new year and I am still in the holiday mood. So today, I am reaching into Santa's sack and I am pulling out answers to all your top design questions. A couple of weeks ago, I asked you to write in on Facebook and share with me your design dilemmas. And boy, careful what I wish for. Because I got what I wanted for Christmas. You sent in lots and lots of amazing questions, and so I'm spending the second week tackling them on big design, small budget. I'm Betsy Helmuth, and let's get right to your questions. Before I dive in, I just want to remind you of our contest. So if you have not already, please head over to iTunes, write a review of this podcast on iTunes, and you will be entered to win our contest. I'm giving away two autographed copies of my book to people who write reviews between Thanksgiving and the new year. So write a review, tell your friends to do the same, spread the word, and I will be announcing the winners on next week's podcast. Once again, head over to iTunes, write a quick review. It is the best way to tell people about our podcast and spread the word. I really appreciate your help, and I can't wait to send out these belated Christmas presents. Now to your questions. The next question that I had come in was from Steve. So Steve wrote on my Facebook page, he put, Betsy, is there any quality furniture that is cat-proof? Well, Steve, after years and years of designing for many families with many cats, I will tell you that each cat is different. Some cats have no interest in leather. Because they can't really get their claws in there. There's nothing porous or nubby that they can dive into. So most cats don't enjoy leather. That being said, if you get expensive leather and they jump on their, on your furniture, just by the nature of having claws, they may scratch that leather. So unless you want a worn, distressed look, leather may be a bad option for you with cats. Another fabric that is somewhat controversial is microfiber. So a lot of my clients' cats do not like microfiber, again, because it has such a tight weave. But my personal concern with microfiber is just that it gets a little bit static clingy. So when I had a cat, even though she did not like to scratch the chair, she did like to sit on it. And all of her hair collected and it really drew that hair to it because it was so staticky all the time. So I don't think that's the perfect solution either. Now, you can potentially make any fabric cat-proof by using the Keep-Away spray. So you can get it at your local pet shop, and it's called Keep-Away. And it's a spray that has a pheromone that deters the cat from jumping the day that you spray it and for about 24 to 48 hours afterwards. The problem is that it stains some fabrics. So you want to try the bottom or test a small piece of the fabric to make sure that it won't stain yours. But most of the time, it does not stain. Like I said, that smell completely dissipates within two days. So you're left with something that has no noticeable signs of treatment, and yet your cat remembers how nasty that smelled once upon a time, and she's totally no longer into that piece of furniture. Another thing that you could try is a new fabric called Krypton. So you can get it at Joann Fabrics. You can get it at a local upholsterer. Uh, for instance, if you were doing an ottoman or wanted to do some pillows or even upholster the bottoms of your dining chairs, Krypton is a fabric that my clients are really telling me has been a game changer for them in terms of really being amazing, not letting anything sink into it. It isn't a breathable fabric. In other words, it's very tightly woven. So nothing can penetrate it in terms of a claw or in terms of um, liquids. Let's just keep it real. We could say hairballs or urine or, you know, fill in the blank. So that has been a really popular fabric with a lot of my clients. But basically, you have to get to know your cat What does your cat not like? Another thing is, what does your cat like? A lot of my clients who have cats, as long as they have some kind of cat tree or scratching post or something, an outlet for their cat to get their scratching done, then their cat is less apt to touch the furniture. So I would check in with you and see if that's not something that you'd want to try. Because some of my clients can't even have wood furniture. Their cats dig into that. The other option is to just get a dog. Steve, did that help? <laughs> Let me move on to my next question. My next question comes from Marie. Marie writes, "Betsy, what are the best see-through curtains that don't look cheap for a bathroom, etc." So, Marie, you put for a bathroom, and that concerns me. I don't typically do fabric other than a shower curtain or um, a bath mat or a towel, but I try and avoid fabric in terms of window treatments in a bathroom. There's just too much opportunity for mold, mildew, and humidity entrapment. So I'd rather see you do a treatment on the window. Now, let's say we wanted to spend a little bit more money let's say we wanted to have a stained glass piece made for that window if you own that could be a really great feature to have for resale so you could take a measurement and have a local stained glass artisan do something that could not only feel special and serve as artwork for the bathroom but would look better than say that peel and stick frosted stuff that you can put on your window That being said, there's a lot of cool peel-and-stick frosted stuff these days. So you can look at Home Depot and you can see that the selection, especially online, is really vast. You could even go to places like Etsy where they have a lot of cool new treatments and brands. So it doesn't look as cheap in 80s as it used to. Um, what's another way, another way? Because I'm actually facing the same issue in my bathroom, and I am having a stained glass piece made. Now, one thing that my neighbor did is she went to a local consignment shop, and they had a big piece of stained glass, and she just hung it in front of her window. So the edges aren't completely covered. I don't know how much privacy you're needing from this window, but that central area is completely covered with a freestanding piece of stained glass, and it looks really gorgeous, and it looks like a nice choice. The other option is to do a blind. And I think a blind is much more manageable than that drape in terms of humidity, especially if you go with a slatted blind like a faux wood. Try and avoid a real wood slatted blind just because I'm worried about it absorbing the moisture and expanding. But faux wood is really great, and some of my favorites are located at JCPenney. You could also get a roller blind if you have a more modern home, but if your home is anything pre-war, I would skew more towards that wood slatted blind in a custom size. Let me answer another portion of your question. You were just asking about shears, and I was telling you not to put them in a bathroom, but let's say you were thinking about shears for another room, like a living room or a family room. So... I am not a fan of shears if you use them in tandem with an opaque drape. I feel like they look like granny panties for your window. They're ill-fitting. They tend to blouse out from behind the drape, and they look like a slip that's kind of coming out from a dress. It just really cheapens the look. But I am a fan of just doing a sheer in lieu of having that opaque panel. So if you were just going to do a sheer, the way that you can avoid it looking cheap is to get a natural fabric or fiber. So skew more for an open weave cotton or an open weave linen or even a raw silk that's unlined that will let some of that light through and is more translucent. The thing that you want to avoid is anything polyester because that will wind up looking like those cheap gauzy pantyhose for your window. Or you also want to avoid some of the less interesting textures, like the crinkle textures in a sheer. I'm a big fan of just having a more raw type texture like that linen. And another way that you can find a nice sheer is just make sure that you're spending a little bit more money. So any sheer that's under $30 probably is going to look pretty cheap. Pretty polyestery, Pretty grandma's house Right? But um, any shear that's over $30 a panel is bound to look a little bit better. The other thing that I think makes shears look a little bit better is some kind of pattern or print. You'll find some really great ones with stripes or some that have some Moroccan style patterns or even a trellis pattern. And those can be really nice. I find a lot of nice patterned shears on JCPenney or I also like to look on Overstock. Bed Bath & Beyond has a surprising selection of shears that don't all look cheap. And then, of course, you could opt for a more expensive brand like West Elmer Pottery Barn, which also has a really fabulous selection. You want to avoid places like Restoration Hardware that are so luxe and so nice that they line every drape so you don't get that sheer quality when you purchase even a linen fabric with them. So, Marie, I hope that helps you asked another question regarding drapes, so i'm just going to segue right to the next one which is betsy how to choose best curtain lengths how much should be on the floor so what you want out of a drape is that you want it to brush the floor or extend one inch past if you have it puddling all over the floor it's really inappropriate for any home that's not a castle Or a plantation home in the south. Anything that's not super opulent. So don't have lots of fabric pooling all over the ground. But you also don't want to have curtains that don't fully touch the ground. Because they look ill-fitting. Looks like you put them in the dryer and they shrunk. Looks like high water pants for your window. Looks poorly tailored so make sure that they really do touch the ground or just have a tiny break where they fold and just extend that half to one inch past the other thing that you want to be sure of is you want to be sure of that you hang that rod higher than the window box that will really draw your eye up Adding more real estate to the height of your space, making your windows look bigger, making your room look taller, just showing off the space to its best advantage. So keep that in mind when you're hanging those drapes, Marie. So let's see here, going back, back into Santa's mail sack, I have a question that is coming from Erin. So Erin put on the Facebook feed, she put, betting, exclamation point, exclamation point, exclamation point. So I wrote to Erin and I said, please specify. And as of this recording, she has not gotten back with me with a more specific version of this question. So I'm going to answer with just the most vital things you need to know about bedding. The first thing is that I like wrinkle-free sheets. I like wrinkle-free sheets. I used to be a fan of only white sheets and now I'm really diversifying and I am a super fan of pattern sheets. I'm not so specific about the thread count. Anything over 300 is really good for me. I am more into the reviews. I tend to get all my sheets at either overstock.com or Pottery Barn. I also really like Macy's Ralph Lauren sheets. I think that they do a really nice job of having a heavyweight texture that's not overly expensive, especially because they have amazing sales. So those are my favorite places for sheets. In terms of duvet covers, what I look for is I look for something that doesn't look wrinkly. Nobody has time to iron. And any flat ones that you buy, ones that don't have an intrinsic texture, will tend to look wrinkly. So I'm always looking for a duvet or coverlet that has a texture. A puckering, a pin tuck, a pleat. Something that when I pull it out of the dryer... Its texture will camouflage any imperfections or wrinkles that may exist because mama ain't going to iron her duvet. One more thing that you want to keep in mind when you're selecting your bedding is how hot are you? And no, I don't mean hot as in sexy, even though certainly there's a question for you. But my my meaning is more how hot does your bedroom get? How hot does your partner get? My husband is really warm-blooded, so he does not like having a heavy comforter, whereas I love cuddling under a big, marshmallowy, billowy comforter. So we sleep with a quilt instead, and a quilt doesn't mean grandma's quilt with patchwork, even though it can mean that, but there are a lot of modern quilts and coverlets that instead have stitching but aren't so bulky. And they do make comforters that fit inside duvets that are cooler. They like type in cool comforter and you'll find lots of options for ones that don't tend to get as hot as a down option. So think about that when thinking about bedding. That's another reason why I completely avoid flannel sheets altogether. Something else that I completely avoid are those jersey sheets, those sheets that feel like a t-shirt. They tend to get lost at the foot of the bed. They're a little bit slippery and slimy. Not slimy. Maybe that's not the word. But I just can never get a good hold of them. They don't stay where I put them. They're shifty, right? So those are my thoughts on bedding. Let me know if you have a more specific angle for that question. And now it's time for a quick commercial break. Do you love this podcast? Do you wish you could learn even more? Well, And if one of those classes sounded intriguing, but maybe you already have my book or some of the other topics are not of interest, you can buy the classes individually at that site as well. Each class is $40. So head over to affordableinteriordesign.com slash classes to get your bundle or your online class today. My next question comes from Courtney. And Courtney wrote, again, a rather vague question. She wrote, Kids stuff toys, et cetera, storage solutions. So that's a very broad topic, but I will tell you the things I like and the things I don't like. The first thing that I do like is I like partially enclosed storage because some of our kids' stuff is cute, like some of the stuffed animals, some of the books, and some of the stuff is not cute, like the big Duplo blocks, like the excessive numbers of trucks and cars and trains. So behind closed doors, I love to keep Legos, Thomas the Train sets, tracks in bins, And in order to be able to close those doors, because lots of these toys are big, you need rather deep shelving. So a bookcase is not going to cut it, people. We need a bookcase or some kind of shelving unit with doors that is at least 13 inches deep. Something that can hold, if you will visualize with me, a file box or larger. One of my favorite units happens to be at Ikea. It's called the Besta unit because it is the best. But it is a modular unit that you can modify to look however you want. You add on pieces. It's like Legos for adults, right? But I have it in both my toy room and our family's movie room. And it's great because the shelving is really deep, 15.75 deep. And then you add the doors so it can hold those larger games like Candyland, like Monopoly, Life. It holds those larger, bulkier items as well as craft items as well as those big trucks and bulky vehicles, and dolls. So I really love being able to close away some of those toys. But I don't want everything in the toy room to feel enclosed. So I like something with cabinets at the bottom. In other words, I modify that Bestie unit, put doors on the bottom, and expose shelving on the top for things that are a little bit cuter, like puzzles, or like trophies, or like things they've made at school, some clay pots. So that way it doesn't feel like a storage locker. Another thing that I like to think about is putting storage on their level. So we have an ottoman in the playroom that's upholstered on top that they like to stand on and jump off of and that I'll sit on when I'm in there supervising. But then they can take the lid off and inside they'll find all those chunky Duplo blocks I was referring to earlier. So it's something that's on their level that they can take control of. They don't have to open a door or pull it down on a sh- off of a shelf. Really, it's meant for something like the greatest hits, something that you want them to play with all the time, or they seem to be gravitating towards all the time. And then I don't have to worry about sharp edges like I would with a toy box or any squished fingers because it's all upholstered. Ours happens to be upholstered in pleather. So if they were to spill something or draw on it with markers, not that my kids would ever do something like that. But if they were to do something like that, I could easily wipe it off. I got mine at Overstock for an amazing price point, but certainly they had these storage cubes at Crate and Barrel, and Hayneedle, and Wayfair, and Bellacor, you name it. They are everywhere, and I really think they're very practical for a playroom. Another thing that I like is I like those book ledges. So book ledges, and then they're called like the library wall shelves that hold books in a vertical manner. They're facing out so that the kids can easily see the selection, yet it takes up practically no floor space, especially the ones that are totally wall-mounted. I'll often put those above a bunk bed. so That way, kids can easily access their books without having this big imposing shelf be in their face on the bunk bed. So my favorite ones happen to be sold at PB Kids and PB Teen, but certainly they have options at Land of Nod that you could check out. And I'm sure they have more affordable options as well. But with some pieces like these, it's better to spend just a touch more and get that quality in my opinion. So there we go. Let me tell you something that I don't like, even though I shouldn't talk about this until I look it up, perhaps. But at Land of Nod, at Pottery Barn, they have these little kind of cubbies, except they're not open squares. They're more like rectangles that have an angled front. So many of my clients have them, and they come like too wide, and then you can stack them to create more. And I have not yet seen a client that those really work for. It's hard to dig in there with that angled panel in the front. I just think that they are totally counterintuitive. Probably 50% of my clients have bought one in the past and they never seem to work out. So do avoid those pieces. They are sold primarily at Land of Nod, Pottery Barn Kids, and Pottery Barn Teen. And I'm really wondering, what are they good for? So there we go. My next question comes from Marie, who in this season of sickness is writing me, Betsy, how do I hide Kleenex boxes everywhere? The way that I hide Kleenex boxes is I utilize drawers. So in my living room, I have an end table that has a drawer. And inside the drawer, I keep the coasters and I keep the Kleenex because I don't mind those Kleenex box covers that match the decor or add a new element. For instance, I'm staring at one right now on top of my desk that's metallic and it looks perfectly nice and I got it at Pottery Barn and it's rather unobtrusive. But we do have Kleenex in every single room, sometimes multiple boxes, and I don't want to have a lot of those decorative Kleenex holders. So for instance, in my office, I happen to have a second box of Kleenex. Believe it or not, I don't do a lot of crying in my office. I think with two toddlers, we're just illness prone. But I have another box in my drawer. In my nightstand, the top drawer has a Kleenex box. So putting it in a drawer is a nice way to keep it out of sight, out of mind, but still really close when you need them. So Marie had a second question for me about wall paint. She says, Betsy, how do I choose two colors above the chair rail and below the chair rail? So yes, if you are lucky enough to have an architectural feature of a chair rail, which is basically a strip of molding that's usually carried around a dining room in the middle, kind of like a belly band, if you will. And the reason that it was created is so that when people push their chair back, they don't mar the walls. They don't scuff the walls with their chair. But certainly a lot of people are using these chair rails for all sorts of purposes, decoratively, including in living rooms. So it's no longer just so you don't bump your chair. And it can be a great excuse to try something cool with your decor. I love the idea of doing a color paint that's two or three shades darker under that chair rail. That is a really fun feature that looks like you put a lot of thought into it and yet it's so easy. Another thing that you could do is you could wallpaper above the chair rail and do that dark color on the bottom. I wouldn't tend to wallpaper below the chair rail and paint a lighter color on top because it would be hard to see the pattern of the wallpaper. So if you were going to wallpaper, which I think would be super fun, then do that above the chair rail. And again, if you're just painting, do the darker color below and the lighter color above. Otherwise, it might feel a little bit top heavy if that more saturated color were the larger swath at the top. So I hope that helps. And oh, one final tip. Typically when you do the chair rail, the actual molding itself, the trim piece, is in the same color as the door frames, the windowsills, and the doors, which tends to be a version of a semi-gloss white. So there you go. I hope that helped. And let's answer our final question of the day. My final question of the day comes from Liz. Liz. Liz writes, Betsy, how much dead space do I need to keep open in an open concept living dining kitchen area for walkways so that it doesn't seem cluttered, nor does it seem empty? So Liz, a standard walkway is 30 to 36 inches. So you want to keep that in mind when you're thinking about having pathways that maybe aren't carpeted. So if you're layering down area rugs, make sure that those walkways, those 30 to 36 inches inch areas that are undefined by doors or doorways in an open concept space are still left empty and not covered by rugs because then it will look like ill-fitting wall-to-wall carpeting. So another thing that you want to think about when creating these traffic ways is between the front of a sofa and the start of a coffee table, you want 14 to 18 inches. That's a good amount of space to put your legs. Between chairs, you want to think about having some space as well. So you don't want the chairs to touch. In fact, if you're putting stools or chairs at an island, you want to make sure that each chair is allotted 22 inches. So for instance, if I have a 48-inch island, I want to divide that by 22 to determine how many stools I need. So there's lots of different spatial relationships to think about, but in terms of your question, 30 to 36 inch walkways and then leave you know 14 to 18 inches between some furniture now when you're putting an end table next to a sofa of course you can keep it closer than that so i like to go with like three to seven inches i never like end tables or nightstands to touch the furniture or touch the bedding so you do want to leave a gap just so that it doesn't feel tight and claustrophobic so Liz, I hope that helped. And guys, I hope you guys have had a wonderful holiday season. I am so looking forward to the new year and all the new exciting tips I'm going to share with you. Keep your questions coming either on Facebook or at Betsy at AffordableInteriorDesign.com and let's all send out our best for a wonderful 2017. I know it's going to be a year full of fun, adventure, excitement, highs and lows, And of course, a lot of lovely decor. And I will catch you next week. Bye. You've asked for it, and we have answered the call. For years, you've been saying, Betsy, you're talking about all these great design concepts, but we can't visualize them. You're describing the picture that the listener sent in of their problem, and we wish we could see that picture too Bye.